Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And friends, Happy Easter! We are thrilled to be at the start of a new reading plan with you on this Monday after Easter. We will be reading the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John together. And when I say reading, I mean reading. We are going to read through these books on the air and talk about them and just let Scripture encourage our hearts because we need it right now. Our friend and content director John Greco joins us once again. We hope that you love this conversation as much as we do, and we hope it encourages your hearts. Let's go. Okay, so this is our first ever She Reads Truth podcast recorded completely remotely. We are not in the same room. But I can see your faces. Thank you, Zoom. This podcast Thank brought you to Zoom. you by Zoom, <laughs> but not really. Unofficially sponsored by <laughs> Zoom along with every other business meeting happening in the world right now. And especially She Reads Truth. It occurred to me this morning that between the three of us, we have nine children within earshot. Yeah. And how many What are the odds? I'm still willing to bet mine are the loudest, so. I just am wondering, like, what are the odds that we're going to get through a podcast and not hear our dear, beloved children? I've got neighbors mowing. I've got dogs running around. This is, guys... I feel like we are right here in this with y'all as you listen. But the thing that's that's weird about this is it seems like things change every day. Two weeks ago, if you would have told me, hey, everyone's going to be, you know, quarantined at home and we'd be doing things like this, I would have said, no, that's silly. But here we are. And this episode, right, this is going to be the day after Easter. This will go live. And, you know, the world may look even a little bit more different than it does now. But the moment we're in... We are working from home. We're doing our best to continue doing all the things we did before, but we're using technology or using what's available to make that happen. And so far it's worked. I mean, I really can't think of anything that we've done that's fallen through the cracks. We were able to kind of continue. It's amazing what technology can do. Yeah. I'm so excited for you guys listening because I imagine you will have so much compassion for us because raise your hand if you've tried to use Zoom for conversation. But that's the thing. We have been having meetings and we've been praying together and we've been able to look each other, you know, air quote in the eye and it's been good. And we've met each other's pets. My puppy, Honey, has attended nearly every meeting. And also I have found that I've got sort of a track record now that I'd kind of like to not break where I eat something in every meeting, whether it be avocado toast or Twizzler. Right now I have a chocolate croissant. You know, I love thinking about future us at the time that our friends will be listening to this, that we will have just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And I feel like, oh, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to experience Easter, even in like the world. It just feels like is upside down right now. But God doesn't change. And the gospel is still true. And Jesus is still alive. And we're still going to celebrate that. Yeah. you know, in two weeks or yesterday, as the case may be when we hear this. And so that's so encouraging to me. It's funny to me that our listeners are like in the future and that you guys are going to be like listening and like shaking your heads like, oh, those fools. They had no idea what was coming. Uh, because <laughs> because, that's because what will Easter be like? We have in. no idea. Yeah. 
But Amanda, like you said, and John, like you said, there is one thing we are certain of, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same as we are recording this right now, and he will be the same when this airs. And he is risen from the grave, and he is alive, and he lives to intercede for us. And that is what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about what it means to walk in love in response to the living Christ. So friends... I'm so glad we're here. I'm so glad you're listening. I am so thankful for technology. And even if it's a little weird, thanks for hanging in with us. We are opening this morning and this week, the book of First John. We're starting the series of those three letters. So first, second, and third John. John, are they letters? We can talk about that, but yes. Okay, cool. For week one, this is a two-week series, much shorter than Lent. For week one, we're going to read chapters one through three. And then next week, we're going to start in chapter four of First John, and then we're also going to read Second and Third John, because those are just itty-bitty letters. You've probably heard us say that our theme for this, or like our subtitle for this plan is This Is Love. Guys, these three books are only 133 verses long total, and the word love is used more than 50 times. So we're going to talk about love quite a bit, and we're going to actually get to spend some extended time kind of reading the first three chapters of First John with you today because I think we need it. I think we need to not just be talking about the scripture. I want y'all to hear it as you spend this time so that you can know and be a part of that conversation. And don't let us reading it with you this morning keep you from also reading it all week long with the community every single day. Yeah. And not just so you can hear it. I want to hear it. Yeah. Today. Amen. <laughs> like I, you know, we knew that we were going to be talking about first John today, but I just, I need to hear it again. And yeah. so I think let's do that. So for day one, so the day that this podcast releases is a Monday. So we're going to read first John chapter one aloud with you right now. And then we're just going to talk about it. We're just going to respond and ask questions and encourage one another and just delight in scripture. So let's do that. John, will you start us off? Because your name is John. Yep. <laughs> hey guys, uh, as, sure. as John reads, listen for some things that sound familiar to you from other places in scripture and listen for strong verbs and sort of pay attention to maybe kind of thinking through why John included those. Cause there's a lot to pay attention to here and we'll talk about it. But just as you listen to John read, kind of listen for those things. Yeah. And the, you know, Mandy, you were saying, reading it again, you know, this is one of those, all three of these letters are letters that when, every time I read them, I find something new, right? There's always some little piece. So they are um, letters. So I'm, yeah, well, like I said, we'll get there. <laughs> they are, but, but I think, I I think it's... Caught him. All right. So let's just start reading. So this is First John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, 
we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you who are familiar with the She Reads Truth process know that we have our primary scripture every day and then we have supplemental passages, sort of our way of inviting scripture to interpret scripture, or not inviting, scripture does interpret scripture, but sort of our way of demonstrating the way that scripture interprets scripture. So you'll have more reading today, but that is just the first John reading for today. And as you begin to become more familiar with scripture and read scripture over time, what's a fun game that I like to play is that like, what passages does this bring to mind? And then if one of those is indeed the supplemental passage that was chosen, you get a prize. Yeah, that's what I think. So if anyone think this works, if anyone heard that and thought, wow, that sounds a lot like John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, then you get a prize because today that is one of the supplemental passages. And also same author. Ding, 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 ding. I want to read that actually from John chapter one, verses one through five, just because of the way that John begins first John and talks about that God is light and there's no darkness in him. Listen to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And so John, our author here is he has started two of his books by saying, you know, the word is from the beginning and in him there is no darkness. He is light. And I mean, we can't have that conversation without hearkening to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it goes on that God created light. So we have these three books of the Bible. They're one ones. They're chapter one, verse ones are about the beginning and about God and about light or darkness in the case of Genesis 1-1. But we get there. We get to light. I just think it's so providential. I know that we can't know what our two weeks from now selves will be experiencing and how our world currently is so rapidly changing. But I just can't help but be so grateful to the Lord for having us read not only these three tiny books that are about love to remind us of what his love looks like and what it looks like to love him and to love others. But in a world that feels really heavy and dark right now to begin our study by being reminded of where the light comes from and who the light is, Mm -hmm. that it's even in dark circumstances or if the outlook of a certain situation is bleak, it does not change the brightness or overcome the brightness of the light. It's so providential that in a world that feels really heavy and dark right now, that we are beginning this study by being reminded of like the source of light, not just actual physical light, but just the light of of truth and hope and love that is never dimmed, even in bleak circumstances, like Jesus never changes, like we were just talking about, like there's our world is changing so quickly, but he never changes. And so I'm grateful the timing is, um, was not 
our plan, but it was his. Yeah. And the timing seems to be that way every time. I mean, thinking back just a couple of weeks ago to Lent and reading Jeremiah and how relevant it was to be reading about God's people in exile and how God was faithful and unchanging and his steadfast love endured even in that. Anyway, you know, it occurs to me that usually when we, we've been so excited about like jumping right into chapter one, usually when we start a new book, we also kind of give like the broad overview. So let's step back like three steps. And John, if you don't mind, would you be the one to kind of give us like the overview of these three books, sort of that like she reads for second and third John sort of yeah. intro? And I don't even think we have to step back necessarily, because the passage we just read kind of hints at what I want to say. The first few verses here, you know, John says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands. He's writing this as an eyewitness to Jesus, right? And it's all very sensory, right? He's talking about, like, it's not just secondhand, it's not just a distant memory, like he remembers the tactile, you know, the, the way it felt to touch Jesus, right? And... I love these books, these letters, because I like to think, you know, you think about who John was. He is, according to tradition, he's the last man standing. He's the last apostle, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know 100%. The Bible doesn't record. But according to church tradition and everything we can know, all the other 11 were martyred. And John, you know, is supposed to have lived to a ripe old age. The sequence of events here is that after... You know, John, if you remember from our Revelation study last year, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And these letters are supposed to have been written after he was released. So he's on Patmos. He has this experience where he sees the Revelation, records that. And then he's released and ends up spending his remaining years in Ephesus. And so these letters were, according to tradition, what we can figure out, were written from Ephesus to the neighboring community. We don't know exactly where, but that's the setting. So John's a very old man. Wait, um, let me clarify for myself and for listeners. Revelation was written on Patmos, and then right. these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were written after he wrote Revelation. We can't be 100% sure, okay. but that's the general thought is that. So my wife and I, Lauren and I, were in Ephesus a few years ago. Part of our honeymoon, we did this Mediterranean Casual. cruise, and one of the stops was, yeah, we, I mean, we're such Bible nerds. We were like, it's kind of like a Bible nerd cruise. Let's do this one. I mean, we went to Ephesus. The and, Bible nerd um, honeymoon. I like it. Yeah. There's a, the ruins of a cathedral, St. John's Cathedral, that was built, I don't remember exactly, so somebody who knows this better than I think it was built in the 6th century, but it's supposedly built on the grave site of John the Apostle, because that's okay. the tradition, is that he spent his remaining years there, and that's where he wrote these letters. But so one of the things that jumps out at me is like, I'd think about him as an older man, and he's writing these letters, and he's the last solid physical link to Jesus. And so what he writes is really important. And I think that's why there's so many echoes of the Gospel of John, right? Because he's trolling his own memory to go like, what are the important things that I want to repeat here, that I want to make an impression upon people? You asked before, Rachel, if these are letters. They are, but I have like kind of a caveat to that. Like if you read them, right, they're weird, right? They're not all the same. Like First John, you know, if you read a letter from Paul, right, how does it usually start? Grace right? and peace to Paul. you. Well, it says oh, Paul, sorry. an apostle yeah. to the church at whatever, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Grace and peace to you. Like there's an intro, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get to Second John, and Second John sort of starts out similarly. He doesn't identify himself as John, but he says, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, right? So this is who it's from. So to, but First John doesn't start out that way, right? There's no 
introduction. There's not even a conclusion, really. He doesn't get to the end and say, you know, greet so-and-so and tell, you know, tell my friends. So there's a theory out there that what these letters are, because they've always been associated with one another. They're kind of a bundle, is that maybe that's what they were. So these were sent to a church, and we don't know precisely where, somewhere in Asia Minor. And the first John, what we have is like a sermon. So this was to be read to the entire congregation, right? And this is the theological meat. This is the message you wanted everybody to hear. Second John may have been sort of the accompanying letter that went with it. So like, here's the sermon you're going to read from everybody, but here's kind of like just the, hey, here's who I am. When I come see you next, this is what's going to happen, that kind of thing. And then the third John is a personal letter to a guy named Gaius. And so that was sort of, he's there, I'm tucking in a note to send with the messenger when he brings these, when he brings this sermon with this letter for the church, I want to also bring this letter to Gaius. And it may have just been a bundle like that. We don't know that 100% for sure, but it sort of makes sense of the pieces we have. So, you know, as we read, there's a reason why, you know, there's a little bit of overlap between First and Second John, and there's a reason that the shape and the form are a little different. So again, we don't know that for 100%, but if it helps as you're thinking through these letters, you know, that's one way that it may have happened. It also, that background explains the tone that John takes. It's almost fatherly, like big brother-ish, you know, like, and it does kind of have the tone of someone who is at the end of their days, who is just trying to pass on the things that are most important. Yeah. If we move on to the second day's reading, we're in 1 John 2, 1 through 14, he says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. There's just an earnestness about the tone of this letter. And I think that's why I listen. I like to listen to scripture often because I hear different things when I listen than when I read, like read silently. And so in listening to this, there's just so much of like, because there's a lot of kind of repetition of like talking about love and God and light and walking with him and obeying commands, but it doesn't feel naggy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times, like if I were to, you know, say something over and over to my children, they maybe wouldn't love that. It depends on my tone. This tone is it's loving. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like he's demonstrating for his audience, the love that he is also explaining. And like in that like loving tone in demonstrating in teaching, there's something that becomes clear to me you know, reading chapter one and chapter two, you know, recently I've been kind of like looking back on the Ten Commandments and like thinking about the law of God, the law that God gave in the Old Testament, both in the Ten Commandments and throughout the Old Testament. And, you know, what we know is that Jesus came to fulfill the law on our behalf, to count to us as righteousness because he is righteous. And so we know those things and then we have to naturally ask, okay, then, do we still have to obey the law if Christ fulfilled it, if he imparts his righteousness to us? And what I love 
in chapter one of first John and then chapter two of first John is that we kind of get the answer to that. And I know Paul answers that in a couple of different ways in his letters, but the answer here is really beautiful and clear to me too. So first of all, in chapter one, verse nine, which is, I think was maybe one of our assurances of pardon when we were in Lent, chapter one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God, first of all. Like, what a beautiful, right there, like, I want my kids to memorize that today because it's this, like, assurance of pardon, right? But you take that and you go, is that license to sin? Because Christ will forgive us, and, you know, like, which it's not. And so I love that right after that in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands, The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly to him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Like that is to me, at least like that's the answer to the question of if Christ fulfilled the law, then what is my role? Like what is the role of the law in my life? What does it look like to follow Christ? And it's to walk as he walked because he is the new covenant, right? And so to walk as Jesus walked. And Amanda, like you're saying, that John communicates this as one who knew Jesus, as one who sat under all of Jesus' teaching, and as one who just wants to spend until his last dying breath reminding anyone who is an earshot or an eyeshot of his writing what it means to walk in love, what it means to follow Christ. It means to follow his commands and to walk as he walked. And that, that gives me like the renewed, like, okay, so I know that's why these 10 commandments matter. Like not because I need to fulfill them perfectly to, you know, assure my own salvation because that's already been assured by Christ. But now I get to walk in love. I get to walk as he walked in response to him. Can I do the annoying thing that I do every time I'm on here? I mean, of I don't course. know why is that. Why would you change well, now, John? Well, I want to do the thing that I do where I go, let's go back to Genesis 1. Because that's yeah, what we're sure. not Genesis 1, but Genesis, the early chapters where it talks about God's design for humanity. Because what you're getting at, Rachel, is exactly that. The yeah. point of salvation, yes, yes, salvation. We get to be in the presence of God both, you know, when we die and when he returns. Direct quote, but, John Greco. Yes, salvation. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, remember, we were created to bear God's image, right? We were mm-hmm. created to reflect his beauty, goodness, and truth to the world, to creation, to one another. And so when John here is talking about walking as Jesus walked, he's talking about practice. He's not talking about status. He's not saying, you know, you'll know you're saved if you have performed, you know, said this prayer or performed. It's not about that, right? It's about like, you'll know, because the whole point of this was to reflect God's image. And if you're walking as Jesus walked, you know you are. And so that's really, it always goes back to that original design for humanity. So I think it's just beautiful that it all, like even here in a letter written to a church in Asia Minor, you know, you know, in the late first century, that's still what's being talked about is how do we get back? How do we get back to that original design for who we were made to be? Amen. Okay, let's actually keep going in chapter two, uh, starting at verse seven. It says, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in darkness until now. 
The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Yeah. That until now, right, in verse 9, that's so interesting. Yeah. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Yeah. So, you know, in these letters and in the Gospel of John, light is just this thing that keeps coming up and again, right? He says, I'm the light of the world. He records Jesus saying that. And, you know, Jesus was the light, you know, of men. And, you know, here we've got this language about light and darkness. And it's, it's like, you know, I wrote in the devotional for this day, it's like John's Gospel glows in the dark. There's so much light there. Ooh, I like that. And here, yeah. And here, you know, we've got this talks about light, you know, you go, what is he talking about? Where does it come from? Where's this original point of light, right? And it goes back again to Genesis, right? What's the first thing God makes by speaking? What does he say? Let there be light. That's right. But that's not the first thing he makes, right? The first Genesis starts out by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, right? And then God said, let there be light. Mm -hmm. So what this is telling us is that creation, when it was originally made, was chaotic. It was without form. It was empty, right? It was not a place where life could thrive. But then God comes in and he brings order, right? And he fills what's empty. And that's kind of, we've done extras about this where we set the days of creation up and we show that on this day, he's bringing order to this realm. And on the corresponding day, he's filling that realm. So he, you know, separates the sky above with the sea below. And then on the corresponding day, then he'll fill the sky with birds and the sea with fish, right? So there's this kind of pattern happening. And Um, to clarify, when you say, but then God comes in, you're not saying, but then God began existing. God always existed. No, no, no. I'm just saying. But then God began to create. As far as the narrative goes, this is when God begins speaking. I'm just making sure Um, you don't get emails, John. No, no, no. So the picture is the world is chaos, unable for life to thrive, and then God brings light. And that's the beginning of life. With each day, we're told what he made was good. And then when he gets, you know, through day six, he says it was very good. Mm -hmm. Um, But light was the start of all that. And so sin, when sin came into the world, it's itself a form of chaos, right? It takes, it brings us out of order. It makes us empty. It's doing what that original creation prior to God bringing light did, right? It makes our lives chaotic. It makes the world chaotic. And we're all looking, going, we need God bring order to this. We need God to bring his kingdom so that we can thrive. And so what John's talking about here is he's saying, well, that light that you're waiting for, for the new creation, that's Jesus, But it's not as simple as just, I'm going to bring the light and there will be no more darkness. Because he loves people and people are trapped in darkness. So the light has come and the darkness does not overcome it, but there's still the darkness for a time, right? We're still living in this world of the already and the not yet. Light has come, but we want to rescue people from darkness. And so that's what he's saying here, right? He's saying, how do you know if you're in the light or in darkness? Which is such a common question. Yeah. It's, I mean, you said it before. You said, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Yeah. In other words, like, it's not that, you know, if you think it's enough to sort of mentally assent to certain theological truths and I'm in, I'm part of God's family. Now, you know, to know God will always result in a transformed heart. You know, we're all in process. I'm not saying that, you know, he says before, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. So it's not that, but it's we are walking as Jesus walked, and that's how we know we're in the light. Otherwise, you know, we're still in this battle between light and dark, and we need to do a self-check and go, where are we? Are we Mm -hmm. walking in the light? 
Those echoes of Genesis continue in these verses from chapter two. So if we go to where we left off at verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. I've written to you children because you've come to know the father. I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. So many echoes of from the beginning, from Mm -hmm. the beginning. I love that. And I think that if the annoying thing about our podcast is that we go back to Genesis often, I accept (laughs) that. I'm in. I'm in for this. Hey friends, Amanda here. I want to take a moment to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, Skylight Frames. Now, I know the calendar feels more like a suggestion lately than an actual reference point, but it's important to know that Mother's Day is coming up. And if you're wanting something for mom that's both useful and meaningful, a Skylight Frame might be the perfect gift. In fact, it's such a good gift that my brother and I both bought one for my mom for Christmas last year without even knowing it. Skylight is a digital photo frame that you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. So whether you live across town or across the country, it's a great immediate way to share photos with someone you love that doesn't require them or you hopping onto social media and getting distracted by a million other things. All I do is open an email, throw in some photos and hit send. And they show up on my mom's skylight frame in her living room just like that. It's super easy, and it brings her so much joy. And multiple people can send photos to the same frame, so she can stay connected to the whole family on one beautiful 10-inch skylight frame. As a special Mother's Day offer for you, our listeners, you can get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com truth and enter code truth. That's $10 off your skylight frame at skylightframe.com slash truth with code truth. S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash T-R-U-T-H. Okay, back to the show. So here's what my wandering mind wants to know. If John spent, I mean, arguably more time with Jesus than anyone, is that arguable? I mean, he was there the whole ministry. And he was there all the way until like he was right there at the crucifixion. And he had breakfast with the risen Christ. So like he spent a lot of time with him. But he starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. If I were John, I would want to ask what it was like. This is like wandering mind wanting to know, but like... Jesus, what was it like to be in the beginning? Like, how does John know that to write it in his gospel? Arguably because Jesus told him I was there in the beginning. And the fact that like John comes into these letters and everywhere he writes, he talks about in the beginning. I don't know, like to me, it just makes me, we won't know until glory, but then I definitely want to talk to John about it or Jesus himself, honestly. But it's just fascinating to think that what conversations maybe haven't been, weren't recorded that Jesus and John had about what it is to be the son of God. I don't know. And it's John who says at the end of his gospel, there were many other things too. If I were to have written them all down, I mean, let me find the quote. So it's John 21, 
25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of knowledge of Jesus John has that we don't get to read. And also just, I love that image. It's such a powerful image to me that like, if you could fill the world up with books, it could not contain or articulate the fullness of the person of Jesus. That is so powerful. And when you were talking about John earlier, Rachel, I was thinking like, you know, John has been loved by Jesus. Yeah. You know, he's the disciple who Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. And so I love that he is the one because he has been so loved by Christ that he is now writing these letters, which we thousands years later have dubbed this is love mm-hmm. because he knows because he's been the recipient of Christ's love. And now he is writing this letter to tell us what love is. Yeah. yeah. I also have to just find patient contentment and trusting that we're not missing out on something. Like when I say John had these conversations and he's even saying in chapter 21 of his gospel, like there's so much more to this. And it even makes me think of the account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus where they're like, and then Jesus just, you know, unfolded everything about the prophets and all the Old Testament. And you're just like, wait, but write that part down. I, I want to hear that. I want actually, why would you just like say and like, et cetera, like yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. That's the part we would love for you to actually take a minute and write that down. I don't know. Like that's something that like initially kind of doesn't sit well with me. Like, hey, wait a minute. But also like I rest in like trust that like the canon is the canon and that we know everything we are intended to know. Not we know everything that we're intended to know, but we're given everything we're intended to be given for now, the already but the not yet. This is one of my favorite things about these letters, too, is that there's so many connections with John's gospel. So you ask, like, how did John put together, you know, that Jesus was, you know, with the Father in the beginning? Well, it's also John that records Jesus telling, you know, the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. Right? Which they picked up rocks to stone him because that's, I am there is is a statement of divinity. He's pointing to what God told Moses at the burning bush. And not only that, but we've got in, and I'll read this from the ESV. This is in John chapter 17, part of the high priestly prayer. And this is Jesus. He says, Father, I desire that they also, speaking of his disciples and you and I and everybody who will come to know Christ, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Right. So there's these little clues in John's gospel and what John recorded there of what Jesus said that kind of like he can put the pieces together and know like, oh, like Jesus is making this claim that, you know, he is eternal. He is God. He was there. But it's powerful to see how the gospel of John, I think, is the best resource to understanding the letters of John, because there's so many. We actually did an extra in the books. It's called Gospel Connections, and that's what it does. It kind of helps. It's like a starting guide. Like these aren't Mm -hmm. all of them. But these are places where you can clearly see, here's something John's saying in one of these letters, and there's a direct tie to something that he said in the gospel, something that Jesus said in the gospel. And there's this like impulse to feel um, left out to me, like that John knew all these things. He knew Jesus, but then he writes to us, like in chapter two of 1 John, he says, this is how we know that we know him. 
if we keep his commands. And then again, in verse five, he says, this is how we know we are in him. He's inclusive. Like he includes everyone who's listening, everyone who's reading right now. John isn't saying, this is how I know that I knew Jesus. So lucky me. Like he's saying like, we know Jesus because we walk as he walked, because we obey his commands. And so I feel a lot less left out all of a sudden. When I know that there's an invitation, it's not like, hey, I knew Jesus, I'm gonna tell you about him, but you'll never really understand how awesome he was. He's saying that we can know Jesus. And that makes me so grateful. Well, and it's the comfort of knowing that we have scripture and scripture is a gift to us, but it's not the only way that we, it is a primary way that we know Jesus, but it is not the only, I mean, we have his spirit. We have, you know, we've been talking about creation. We have creation that declares the glory of God. And so there are ways in which we know Jesus that we also can't articulate. Were we to fill volumes and volumes of books, there's something about Jesus that can't be written down. Okay, let's keep reading because I think we might be able to make it through all of this week's reading of First John. John, do you want to read a warning about the world? Sure. This is First John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. And then we go right back to that language of the beginning. In verse 24, with a new heading, remaining with God, it says, What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. That's the promise. Okay, verse 26. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. Okay, so I'm just going to be honest here and say that I'm not sure what to do with a good chunk of this that we just read. (laughs) Not that we're going to unpack that all because we only have an hour and not, you know, a week. But the things that I gravitate toward, we live in a time and perhaps there's always, this has been true all ways, that there's always someone saying like, the end is near, the end is near. And I think if you zoomed all the way out, the end is near. (laughs) But when we look at what John is actually saying here, it's less like, hey, I know, like, here's the date that the world's going to end, and we're all going to go to glory. But it's more, here's how you stay close to the one. Mm -hmm. And like, here's how you know, lies from the truth. 
when you remain in God and you remain in, you know, for us now we have the gift of his word. We remain in his word and we keep his commands. It is not to just check off a list of the things that we do for eternal life. It is because this is for us. Like when you were talking earlier about God's law, Rachel, God's commands are good. God's Mm -hmm. commands are a way that he loves us. And so I'm not sure I'm rambling, but at the same time, I get like big question marks over my head when I'm reading this passage, but I also get fired up because I can, even though I don't fully understand what's being said, I can grasp what John is doing, which is just trying to tether us to the truth. Mm -hmm. Which like, I mean, we're about to start two weeks from now, a reading plan and a podcast series called The Promises of God. And so we'll talk about this a lot more in two weeks. But verse 25, I mean, I said earlier, there was a verse I wanted my kids to memorize today, but maybe this is going to win because it just says, and this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. That's the promise that we have. So when we're talking about, when we're doing our podcast recording on a Zoom call, which we never would have anticipated, and when we're, when the world feels upside down and we're reminding each other that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his promise to us is eternal life when we don't feel like we can grab onto anything. And Amanda, even when you're saying like, when is the end? We don't know. I mean, that's not what we're focused on. What we know, what we're focused on is that the promise to us is eternal life. I think there's two things that like jump out at me on this. Like one is just what you said, Rachel, the eternal life, right? That's the promise. Like I love, I love the gospel of John because you know, like, what do we think of when, when somebody says eternal life? What comes to your mind? John three sixteen. Okay, John three sixteen. Right, heaven. God um, love the world. Heaven. Okay, like Jesus. I, I love John's gospel because he gives us a definition. Oh, okay. Right, John seventeen three says, "This is eternal life: colon that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ." And that's Jesus speaking. He does this weird thing where he refers to himself in the third person. But sure. the point is that, you know, that's what eternal life is. It's not heaven when you die. It's none of that. I mean, it is. But really the point is it's getting to know God and Jesus Christ, which means it starts right now, right? Like yeah. you and I, still alive, this side of glory, are experiencing eternal life. It's not something that is strictly future. I think that's it's just, a good word. Yeah. And thank you, John, for giving us that nice, clean definition. Mm-hmm. And we find... In reading these three small books that love, like love is also knowing Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do we love? Well, we know him and we walk with him. Mm -hmm. That's love. Like he is love. So if we remain in him and walk with him, that's what we've said in this upside down world that we're living in, that we've had to, in a lot of ways, reimagine what it means to love our neighbor and what it means to love our families. And love just looks different, tangibly, like kind of the practical application of love looks different right now in our world than it did a month ago. But it still looks like Jesus. Love always looks like Jesus because God is love. That's right. Amen. The other I'm just going to keep saying amen as you guys talk because... (laughs) <laughs> no, the, the the other thing that like, you know, as you read this, you know, Amanda, you kind of, I don't know if you were just being polite, but like you mentioned, there's some stuff here that's just hard to, 
get your head around, right? And he talks about the Antichrist, right? That'd be one of the parts. That'd be one of the parts. <laughs> Children, is, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Many um, Antichrists have come. Yeah, so it's the last hour. So, like, when we think, you know, in terms of the biblical idea of time and how it works, every moment from the death and resurrection of the Son of God until the return they're the last days, right? This is it, right? That was the pivotal event in history. Everything else is just kind of, it's the sandwiched in between the return of Jesus and the beginning of the new age, the kingdom come and consummated. Yeah, that's helpful. It's not like these last yeah. five days. It's, so he's not saying, yeah, he's not saying nobody. that are right. the and last. You, you'll hear that from, you know, people who don't study New Testament theology, but they'll say, well, it's clear in the Bible, all these people thought Jesus was going to return next week and he didn't, so they were wrong. But that's mm-hmm. not really what's being said here. And, and part of this age is that there will be antichrists. And all that means is a scary word, but all it means is just means someone who opposes Jesus, someone who opposes the truth of the gospel. So we've talked about this a lot when we've done like Paul's letters and things. But when you read a letter in the New Testament, you are reading one side of a conversation. So the author is always addressing a situation. And in this case, we don't exactly know what the situation was. We do know there was some kind of split that some people left this church, because he keeps referring to them, and it had something to do with denying Jesus was the Christ and that Jesus came in the flesh, because we have John's response to that. And this is so he's basically saying those who have left, consider them antichrist, because they are now actively opposing the gospel. They they're were once antichrist. Before, right, they're antichrist. They were once part of the church, and now they are against us. So they're not even just non-believing lost people. They are people who know the truth, they've heard it, and they've rejected it. It's a different state of affairs. So I think that's kind of like the best we can make of what's happening here. But it is, you know, you read this and it's just not language we normally use. I've never said to anybody, so-and-so is an antichrist. And there's like this strong language of like, there are antichrists and like, and this is the thing to be aware of. But then it's such tender language. Like you go through the rest of chapter two, verses 28 and 29, and he says, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So there's this like strong language of like the antichrists and the many antichrists and the people who are against what is true. And then there's this tender, like repeated use of like little children and just going like, there's a affection a love, if you will, for his listeners and just wanting to shepherd them and to remind them of what is true. Guys, we're almost done with our reading. Like we have, I think, just some of chapter three left. Do you want to read it, Amanda? Yeah, I love the children theme that will continue now as we get into chapter three. And like what you just said, there's kind of a shepherding voice. It's not just admonishing and caring. It's also protective Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I hear kind of in this passage. So this is first John chapter three, see what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away our sins and there is no sin in him. 
everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. I feel like we could do like a diagram of those two (laughs) paragraphs where it's like, okay, sin does not equal Jesus. Mm -hmm. Someone who is in sin does not know, you know, like it feels like he's kind of John John does that a couple of places here where he does these like, this equals this, or right. if this, then that, but if this, then that. And it's probably, I'm sure like math people love, love this yeah. book because it's yeah. like, right. Randy, you sketch us up a like. Venn diagram. We'd like yeah. that. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. But here's where it feels like protective to me in verse seven, children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. You need to know what love is. And what love isn't because, you know, you just, again, it goes back to this sense that John is just like, these are his final, are these his final letters? Yeah. I mean, we don't know exactly, but yeah, it's, if it's correct yeah. that he was exiled in Patmos and then was released and, and then wrote these letters afterwards, then yes, this would be the last. Yeah. And my and, temptation as a parent is to like read these verses to my kids and be like, this is what you need to know. Love your brother, love your sister. But that's not what John is saying. He's saying yeah. like, love each other. Like, Amanda, you're my sister. John, you're my brother. Like, this is not something for me to pick up and make sure my kids read. This is something that I need to make sure that I'm reading. And it's also to know how to discern love. Yeah. Like, what is loving? Well, is it, does it look like God? Does it look like Jesus? Is it, you know, like there are, I feel like there's so much, like, don't let anyone deceive you. Yeah. It, It reminds me of Galatians where Paul is like, don't let anyone preach a false gospel. Don't let mm-hmm. anyone add to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus plus something is not the gospel. It's just Jesus plus nothing. Right. Yeah. And that's why I feel like he's trying. You could just hear this, like, I'm just going to do my best to show you what the pure love of Christ is. But I think, it, well, like John does this thing where he keeps returning to the same themes and it's, you can see sort of an echo here, right? Instead of before he talked about like, know whether you're in the light or in the darkness. And now he's saying, know whether you're a child of God or a child of the devil. Right. It's just different ways of thinking about, you know, and it always goes back to, are you living a life of love? Are you walking as Jesus walked? Yeah. And then we go to the other thing is like life and death. So as we finish chapter three, which is the end of our reading for this week, he's going to talk about love and action, which guys, if you have your study books with you, page 37, you're going to see four really strong gospel connections that we've marked on this page. So be sure and like spend some time on this on Friday. But I'm going to read verse 11. It says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that language that we keep hearing. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. And in the very end of this chapter, it says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I just love this truth that Christ laying down his life for us is not only our example of love, but it is our ability to love. Like that's what gives us the ability to love. So if I can love you, Rachel, and I can love you, John, as my sister and brother in Christ because Mm -hmm. of Christ's ultimate act of love. And that ultimate act of love, like he's, verse 17 just gets me. It was relevant in the moment it was written and it is so relevant right now as we are all sort of, you know, caught on our heels and just trying to know how to live from day to day and how to love our neighbors from our own homes. We talked about how relevant it is to be studying love in a time where we are all in our homes and quarantined. But verse 17 said, if anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? And God's word convicts me today. That is how I can love right now from these four walls. I mean, this whole section that you just read, Rachel, in the CSB Bible is labeled love in action. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably said that before you started reading, but it's Christ's love, God's love in action for us is Christ on the cross and our love in action for others. It's not, love is not passive. Mm -hmm. Love, as DC Talk once said, (laughs) is a verb. verb. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the thing. You know that your podcast episode's going well if you come back around to DC Talk. To DC Talk. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, you know, when I say verse 17 convicts me, guys, when we read scripture, scripture exists to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. And so that's good. If we are walking with him and we want to be conformed to Christ, then it is a sign of a heart that is tender to the Lord and to his word to not read a verse like that and be like, check. It is to read a verse like that and go, okay, Lord, like I see that you are using your living and active word right now to show me what love and action should mean today in a way that maybe I haven't done yet today. And so it's good and it is a sign of a life that is tender to Christ and wants to walk with him to read three whole chapters of scripture and to find conviction and not find it, but to be convicted and to be corrected and trained. Yeah. When we read scripture, scripture reads us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's such a gift that this is not just a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I'm impressed that we got through all of our first John reading for today and for this week. So guys, definitely be sure to join us every day as we read this as, you know, broken up as a community. And you can talk to us in the comments in the app and on the site 
But it was sweet to get to kind of do this broad sweep and kind of prepare you guys to go into this week. And so on Friday, you'll be reading Love in Action. Before we go, and I think we're probably over time because this was just such a delight, but let's real quick do Beauty, Goodness, and Truth. Amanda or John, do you guys have Beauty, Goodness, and or Truth for today? I have on my vintage Truth sweatshirt. I see that. I see. I see that. Fancy Zoom call. So I'm not sure which this is. Maybe goodness, but a lot of us at the time of recording are, we're all in a weird situation, right? Like some Mm -hmm. of us are isolated alone. Some of us are isolated with other people. And so for me, that is, it looks like me, my husband, our four children, and our youngest son's nurse who still comes and goes and helps us take care of him. And then also another caregiver who is coming and going and helping watch our older kids while we attempt to work both from home. It's a lot of people in one house, (laughs) Um, house. but it is a full house. Oh, we should do a TV show called Mm -hmm. Full House. So for us, we are looking for, how do I put this, ways to spend our time that cause us to delight in one another and not really super annoy each other (laughs) (laughs) because it's a lot of people in one house. And so all this is my lead up to a very non-spiritual item, which is it's called Shut the Box. Has anyone heard of No, I'm so excited. Tell me more. Listen, it's I'll link to it. You can get them. I got this one on Amazon. I think you could probably get like a really cool crafted one on like Etsy. But there's not time for that right now. I just had to get Amazon to bring it to me while the getting was good. But it is And then you had to bring it in with like latex gloves and Lysol wipes. Right. Spray it down. Like hose (laughs) it down. Yeah. It's a wooden box with the numbers. You can either get it one through nine or one through twelve. And you have two die and you roll the die and you die? Die is plural. Two dice. Right? Plural. Two dice? It's a weird one, right? Isn't it backwards? Isn't it like a one of them is a dice and two of them are die? Oh no. Anyway, you roll those two things with the numbers on them. The number you roll cubes. the dice, and you are trying to get all the numbers to flip up. You'll understand when you see the box. Anyway, it's really addictive because it's hard to beat the box, as we say. And so, anyway, it's really fun. But we, I grew up in a house where we had a nicer version of the box that someone actually made and we would keep it under the sofa and we would just slide it out from under the sofa and play you just play you know just it's like a solitaire game but you compete in like who can beat the box and who can't so it's been a long time since I've owned one of those because it's been a long time since I lived at home (laughs) with my parents and so anyway so I got one of those and it's been really fun because it's sort of like tethered me to a time when I was younger than I am now but anyway, so shut the box. I will link to it if you need just ways to occupy your children, even just for 15 minutes. I feel like it's worth the $19. It's funny. It, it, it speaks to the time that we're in right now because my beauty, goodness, and truth is also related to what to do. But guys, if you know me, you know that this is not my first time to probably gush about puzzles because I am a puzzler from way back. But this is my time to shine. I still feel like this is beauty and goodness at the very least. Maybe She Reads Truth should make a puzzle. <gasps> she Reads Truth. It's Rachel's puzzle Super Bowl. But yeah, it is my puzzle Super Bowl. But we, I'm going to link in the show notes. So shereadstruth.com slash podcast. That's where you can find all the show notes. So I have really curated and tested carefully and lovingly 
sort of my like my top five puzzles of all time. And so I'm going to link those for you guys too, because they are beautiful and they're good. And I really do. Amanda and John, can we make a She Reads Truth puzzle? I'm sorry. I think that'd be awesome. I feel like we should. Okay. I'm going to work on that immediately after we hang up. But for now, I'm going to give you guys my curated Rachel's top five puzzles that you're going to love. John, what do you got? All right. So, you know, they're all going to be coronavirus related. So, you know, we've been home for a few weeks and I have just kind of, it turns out like I really like, or I shouldn't say I, we as a family like figuring out how to, how to do things the old fashioned way. One of the things that Lauren decided she was going to learn how to do was make bread. And I didn't realize what went into making like sandwich bread. It's really intense. There's so many, there's so many steps, there's so many special ingredients, but she did it. She learned, you know, a while ago. And now once a week, she'll spend part of Saturday making a loaf of bread. And you know the expression, Look this is the greatest go. thing since, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You've yeah. you know, heard that expression. It's now true. The slicing understand. is the hardest part. It's like, I got to get it right. You know, like, but it is amazing. It's better than any bread you can buy at the store. It's probably better for you. It's delicious. And it's like, oh, like we didn't even know this was an option. Um, We're going to need tone, this recipe. Yeah, I, I will get it. But um, and even like, you know, we, we decided let's make a garden, like a real garden that if we actually had to eat the food, we could. And so like I've been learning like about how to make a raised garden bed and the soil mixture should be and how do I treat the wood without chemicals and, you know, like figuring out like, oh, there are ways to do this. People have been doing this. We've been so used to, you know, kind of ordering it on Amazon or or just kind of, you know, getting it at the store. And now like we're going like, there's a lot of cool things that actually I'd like to do, you know, like mm-hmm. I may this time next year, I may be raising bees. I don't know. But I just there's this so many so things exciting. that like are very old school that I'm finding myself more and more excited to just figure out or watch a YouTube video or whatever and and learn how to do and just and have it be something we made, you know. So that's been that's been our beauty, goodness, truth over here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the beauty, goodness and truth portion of our it's mostly here's what to do in quarantine. Um, well, here's what. I want to meet you halfway somewhere and get a loaf of that bread. <laughs> and then I want next week for my beauty, goodness, and truth to be your wife's Lauren's bread. homemade bread. There you yeah. go. Yes. I like That's that. That's my plan. Okay, guys. Next week, we are going to do our just week two. It is a two-week series. So we're going to do that second week of first, second, and third John. We're going to finish first John and then go right through second and third and we're looking forward to that. Y'all, we are praying for our community. We are praying for you guys and for the world and for each other. These are uncertain times, but be certain of this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We will be back with you next week. And Amanda, until then, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.